Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Pixel Sift. Each week we dig into the games and concepts you might not hear anywhere else. My name is Gianni and I'm joined by my co-hosts Scott and Mitch. Hey. Hello. And doing the fancy video controlling is our controller of video, James. And he's tucked in away around the corner. He always tries to make sure he sets himself. I can see him from here this week. He can. He's here. It's true. He's there. Hi, I'm Megan Summers, uh, the producer and co-owner of Screwtape Studios in Brisbane. I spoke to Megan from Screwtape Studios earlier this week about her new game, Danzel. That interview is coming up later in the show. Yeah, so we're also talking about kind of no-grind game mode. So if you don't really feel like playing the game all the way through, but you want to experience all the content. Yeah, and finally, Legal Schmeagle. We're having a look at the mods and the copyright issues that come along with them. All that and indeed more on this week's episode of Pixel Sift. <laughs> Pixel Sift! It's not Pixel Sift, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift! Yeah, so sometimes we buy a game to only have the majority of the content, such as like characters or levels, you know, locked away. And like, you know, this is common in games like the Legos, the Lego game series, like Lego Star Wars and like... I guess, to an extent, the Super Smash Brothers and fighting game series, like Street Fighter and things like that, like the characters are locked until you can unlock them with gameplay time or in some instances with Super Smash Brothers, you know. Would you go as far as to call that a bit of grind work? Yeah. A bit of a grind. Pretty much. But even in Super Smash Brothers, you have to wait till a character kind of presents itself to be unlocked. And sometimes you just really don't have time for that and you just want to play the whole game. So I guess... We thought of a concept called like low grind gaming, like where it's just maybe you have an option to just turn all that off and access all the content in one go. Just jump straight into it, you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, see, like this kind of thing is, I think, becoming a little bit more of an issue. And there's, there's been an issue for a while. I remember there was, uh, was that game Warframe had a pretty big issue with their grind. I mean, I remember there was a big kind of like forum outcry for it because I followed that a little bit. I mean, like... um. For them, I could understand it because they had games like, you know... Well, in, in the sense... Dota 2 and Heroes of, uh, you know, Neweth or however you say New it. New Earth, I New think. Earth. Yeah, well, um, uh, in, in the sense of... Like, I'm not really talking in the sense of MMOs because MMOs are all about that kind of thing. It, it seems like that's part of the culture. Yeah. I, and I, there I, is a, a... I guess there's a push before those sort of aspects where you are kind of getting people to come back and do a little bit more every yeah. time and, you know, get into the sort of uh, flow of playing a game regularly. And that's, there's a push for that to kind of exist in more and more types of games, some that we might not have seen previously. Yeah. I, th- I think just because it's a part of RPG doesn't mean it can just be done slack. You know, I don't like 
when you have to go back to the same areas to do the same kind of grinds and it's just repetitive and just not adding to the game in a kind of any positive that's, way. That's really interesting that you mentioned RPG there because that's something you kind of don't always think about, but so many games say that they've got some sort of RPG element in it. And that's obviously then part of that RPG is obviously the grind but to is get it just level grind up. work? Because, yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of what people are doing, and they're hoping that you create your own sort of character in order to do that. But say, for example, like Smash Bros, you're not creating your own character. You're no, just going to have not. to do the grind work to get those to characters. To unlock that mm. particular content that you will have access to later. It's not like you won't, but you just can't access it as soon as you put the disc in the machine or get the download installed. Yeah. I do remember with the first uh, Star Wars Lego game, you could actually put in a cheat code, which unlocked everything straight away. Ooh. So if you wanted to jump straight into it... Funny you mentioned cheat codes. I, yeah. I feel like that that was what used to be the case with games. Like you could just put a cheat code in and that Instead, was put into the yeah. game. But I think that might have been replaced by DLC. Like things like the things that cheat codes used to grant you are now kind of DLC elements. Well, I, I guess I think but, about games like, for example, StarCraft or Warcraft Three, games that I really enjoyed. But I played through the storyline many, many times with invincibility on, because the story was still really enjoyable to play through. Yeah. It, the, but the grind of playing the game once you'd played through it once, you didn't really you don't want, want to, play to do it. all the stuff, all the things that take you that extra you know, kind of 20, hours, 30 minutes hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You just wanted to get. So all we're getting at was a little lazy. Yeah. So, well, no, 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 no. It's it means, just like if I'm spending hours in the game, I want to be doing it, spending hours, uh, hours that I really enjoy, kind of you know, actual gameplay and you know, challenging parts of game, not just crappy walking around, opening up boxes. And like I did mention this last week at the um, live Pixel Shift Comic Con thing, um, like Bethesda and their lock picking mechanism for Fallout Four and Skyrim and whatever else they've used it in. I really liked that. I thought that was a good bit of kind of addition to a grind and changing it a little bit. Yeah, but. When you're using this kind of stuff, I want it to be. I want there's something. I want this there to be something in that like suitcase or door or whatever. Like, don't just put it in there just to add extra kind of time to the gameplay. That's just going to piss but me Thester, off. I don't want to open this case and find a sack of dirty rags. I've got exactly. plenty of dirty rags at home, the- all around me in my house, <laughs> wasting everybody's time. I don't time. need to collect them in a game. But you know, it's really it's kind of pissing, pisses you off and it's disheartening. Um, I mean, collecting things is great part part of these games. And again, I'm going to keep talking about this style of gaming. But like, you know, say Diablo three. Yeah, loved it. Love, uh, you know, getting new things and enhancing my player. But it gets to a point where you're spending more time doing that than you do actual playing, and that that's where I it starts to get a bit wearing for me. I want some good balance there. Granted, there is, you know, the argument against this is like, you know, the developer made a game to be played, obviously, and so you don't want the customer just flicking a switch and missing out on half the content that you made. And that you put time into, and but, then they're just skipping over it. And there's yeah. lots of games, I don't know, that I feel like, yes, that's if you're looking for that type of game, that's perfect for you. But some games where I know for a fact that I just don't want to pick up at all because I know of the grind element in it. You know, Destiny, for example, I don't put nearly as much time into that as I, have, as I probably would have done because you can kind of only have one of those games in your life. You can't have multiple grindy games at the same time. You know, we've had a lot of this open world sort of stuff that's come out recently and we talked about this a bit in last week's episode where it's an open sort of uh, format story, non-linear sort of story, but you can kind of go in any direction. But then that, without having a linear sort of story, you have a quite open-ended time requirement as well. I, I feel like those kinds of games, like the MMOs, are, are not... Like, they're not really 
what I'm referring to. It's like if because if you want to experience the story and like you can pretty much experience all that Destiny really has to offer in those first maybe ten hours of gameplay if you really wanted to. But there's other elements that you can really explore and if you really want to engage in the culture of that game then you can choose to do that if you want to i don't think it's unfair to, uh, i think it's unfair to not talk about mmos when we're talking about grind work though because they Absolutely, are one of yeah. the kind of genres that really do or can anyway uh rely on it too heavily um you know some games don't of course mm-hmm. i think um it's important to note that some people do like grind grind working games and um you know, it, I mean, the whole mobile mobile game game area is kind yeah. of built on that. It I is. recently myself just insta- uninstalled Fallout Shelter off my phone after way way too long because I just got to the point of like, what am I doing? What yeah. what am I doing? I've wasted way too much time on this. You know, uh, in quotes, air quotes, game. Uh, and I don't know. I don't Sometimes know as well, like the grind rant. is actually your your monetization strategy, basically. So you know they put these elements into your game, make it addictive enough, but they make it so that if you actually want to progress at all, if you're not paying money to play the game in terms of buying little speed up things, then you have a huge grind against it, and it is technically possible to play it but it just becomes basically unplayable after a certain point you know i've played a few mobile games like that where the gameplay itself was fantastic was probably like an image the one that comes to mind is um tiny tower um which you can play on on mobile but is a very similar sort of format to sim tower which came out on the computer many years ago Mm. and you're basically going through similar sort of format um all that sort of thing but i got to a point very quickly where it, it was very clear that i had to spend some money in order to progressed in the game otherwise i'd be waiting like 12 hours well, as with mobile games you know there isn't a huge kind of end there's no end game really because if you end game then they stop having the opportunity for you to spend money if if i for a second bring us back to like the, yeah, so the super smash brothers example yeah. yeah if there was like say next super smash brothers come out it's probably gonna be called i don't know super smash brothers artillery or something like that and then that comes out and you have an option to pay i don't know five extra dollars in the nintendo store to unlock everything like everything is unlocked, all the characters, all like, and like all the all the maps, all the items, whatnot, and even all those trophy collectible things. If you just wanted all of that, pay an extra five dollars. Do you think how many people would go for that? I oh, think a lot I of think people. Yeah. Would, yeah, I would yeah. personally. I might. I I'll consider going for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but, but I mean, I don't Super Smash very often, but it's not the kind of game where you are doing anything different per level. Really, yes. you know, you're not doing anything different to unlock these things. So, I guess the grind work there is just continuous play. Yeah. yeah, which is understandable and very easy to do. But yeah, people are going to circumvent that for five bucks for sure. I think people, it's it's a time re- requirement. Some people will so yeah, not have the time to do it. Some people don't have that time. Yeah. that's why I got so pissed yeah. off at Fallout Shelters. I was like, I'm wasting so much time here. I mean, granted, it was usually toilet time, but still, yeah. it's a fun game. It's my time. It's a fun game, but it does take a lot of your time. Let's uh, jump into our next story. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Earlier this week, I spoke with Megan Summers. She's from Screwtape Studios, and we talked all about her brand new game that's coming out very, very soon called Damsel. We spoke all about learning lessons from making games for mobile, paying for your indie game development, and making games in Queensland. So our game, Damsel, is our first PC game that we worked on. So it is an action arcade platformer, which, like all games at the moment, we've had to find some some nice words to explain it. The level is a very short form. It's a really fast-paced action platformer. 
where you're attacking vampires and gathering intel a lot so that you're finding new locations in the world. So when you say short form, what what does that mean exactly? So each level is between two and five minutes to complete. So we have 120 missions, all approximately two to five minutes to complete. So the story is uh, a lot more... um, is given through conversations, whereas the action part is quite quite fast-paced. You guys have previously worked on sort of mobile games. What were some of the big things that you've learnt transitioning from the mobile game into, a, you know, making a PC game? Mobile was fantastic for us for a long time in the sense that it gave us the ability to quickly iterate. It gave us the ability to test designs, um, play with different styles of games. But the artistic style on mobile is harder to do because you have less space. And we've always loved the more artistic games. So as we were moving towards the kinds of games that we really wanted to make, we sort of almost needed to move away from mobile in the sense that having enough actual space on there, on the actual device, to to show off the art that we wanted to show off. But our game has got a lot of the flow and progression um, systems that we've learned from being in the mobile space. You're able to create a much smaller game and a much tighter system. And then we were able to, we realized that we're actually, we've moved across quite a lot of things without even realizing it, um, that we learned in the mobile space. Uh, In a recent talk that yourself and Anthony uh, gave for Game Dev Brisbane, you sort of mentioned that when you were developing the thing, you had a really good idea for a story when it first started out, but it wasn't enough to kind of turn it into a game. What was it that you kind of had to do to kind of change the story idea into a game? So really, um, the, the story idea, it was going to be a very linear story-driven game. Uh, that, was, that was the plan. That was something that um, Anthony and I, especially starting the company, had always wanted to do. But at the moment, in, in the, the market that we're in, we had to really um, differentiate ourselves from other games. And at the moment, a story-driven game, there are, there are AAA titles doing that. And they're doing that much better than most people in indie could do. So we had to, so the change that we ended up making was this change to shorter levels, to making it more of an action arcade game. So the story is now only um, given in between levels rather than our levels being uh, progressive through the story. When you're making these tough decisions, do you have something that you say, all right, these are the things that we are absolutely going to have to nailed down and we're going to try to compromise on other things and what's your list of priorities for us it's become making sure that the game is fun overall first we we i think we got too attached to story and as much as that really is important we allowed it to guide us in a place where the game actually wasn't a fun game or it was but it didn't have a grab to it other than just being a nice progressive story <laughs> And well, actually, that leads in quite well to my, my next question. Um, in that same talk, you were mentioning that you were sort of soft pitching it to someone that you knew and that one of the criticisms that were kind of given that having a game that is just fun isn't sort of enough anymore. Can you kind of explain what that means? We were lucky enough to talk to a publisher agent. We, we went to him trying to find out if the game that we had, uh, if we could pitch it to a couple of small publishers, get a small amount for us to be able to polish it up even more and complete it. So really, the idea of that fun isn't enough is sort of on that second level of the game, whether you can sell it. 
your game may be fun and people may play it, but it's about will you be able to sell it to enough people to be able to make the next game that you want to make. So we have to have a grab in the game that you can see it on, you know, a poster that your friends are sharing around and it's an idea that grabs you rather than having to churn hundreds of thousands of dollars into marketing for people to actually see the game. That was our main reasoning why fun wasn't enough anymore because you can have a beautiful fun game and if you have the money to market it, people will buy it. But in the indie scene at the moment and the platform genre that we'd chosen was very flooded and very flooded with similar style games so finding the hook rather than fun being our hook was really a hard thing to hear, but it made us realize that the market that we're in as a small company really was determining what our game had to be in. We've been trying to go to a, a larger number, large number of events with the game. I think the art style in the game is making that style of marketing for us work really well. I don't know if it will work for everyone, but the style of game, the style of the art really is grabbing people to those small images on social media. We also talk to a lot of people. We try to, uh, we go to conventions and conferences wherever we can. I think from the, the, the indie marketing in the sense of being out on social media, but also make sure that our artists are the ones making those images. And it's not just us, me as a producer, taking an image out of the game. It's it's our artists creating specific images as well that are really grabbing people. And somehow that social media marketing got us an invite to PAX East. I mean, you mentioned PAX East there and, you know, traveling to these conventions from somewhere like Australia over to, you know, the US. There's a big cost sort of associated with doing that. How do you balance the risk between getting your game out to a, a, a broader audience? Well, for example, we had actually decided not to go to PAX on our own um, this year. It wasn't actually until we were invited by the PAX Rising team, uh, which allowed us the ability to have it. It's a little bit cheaper cost for smaller indies. We don't get as much space there. But so that was what first made us decide, okay, we need to find the money to get us there because we're being asked to be there. So there are a few options um, in Queensland for funding. Screen Queensland does have some travel allowances for games. That's about the only funding we're eligible for. But hopefully that will actually cover most of it for us. So in terms of funding from the you know the Queensland government and Screen Queensland, it, it looks to be quite limited in terms of comparing it to, say, somewhere like Victoria. How do you pay for a game in Queensland? How do you make a game work? You'll probably find in Queensland you'll be talking to people who have a lot more invested a lot of uh, investing their time and money from their own bank accounts, whether it was because they were at a bigger company and, and had redundancies happen. And so in the last four or five years, um, people have been going through their savings a little more up here maybe because we don't have that ability for as much funding. Uh, Screen Queensland does have one funding option for games at a very early level. Um, so there is the chance for um, funding when you have a concept. Unfortunately, we've just been not at a place where that was that was going to be viable for us. So all of um, all of the money for Damsel has been personal investment for us. For people who probably wouldn't know, what is the the Queensland game development scene like? 
Um, what sort of things are we seeing people making? It's sort of really like a, a small Melbourne. It's it's just as passionate. We just don't have as many people. It's a little bit more spread apart. But we have major international companies such as Kixai who are working on Vega Conflict, an MMORPG. And we also have Gameloft, which is another international company. So we have those two companies, which is great. It's bringing, they're able to bring, you know, juniors in who can be trained by seniors. But the indie market here is actually quite big. Um, Halfbrick has been around for a decade now. They are still one of the most successful companies in Australia when it comes to gaming uh, with Fruit Ninja and Jetpack Joyride, as well as then putting Fruit Ninja into the educational um, game system. We've got um, Defiant Development. They um, recently uh, sold a game called Hand of Fate, which was the first game, uh, first indie Australian game to be on the Xbox three, uh, Xbox One. Uh, we've also got a couple of guys who've broken off from Halfbrick, um, the Pretty Great Studios. They just won um, Game of the Year um, for their game Landsliders last year. We've also got smaller companies like Disparity, who made Ninja Pizza Girl and Run Fatty Run, as well as Sponge Games, which you'll probably see around a fair bit at the moment with their game Fairly, Fairly Breaks. So th there are quite a lot of studios that are actually not just making games, but they're making successful games. Megan Summers of Screwtape Studios there talking about the Queensland game development scene, uh, their brand new game, Damsel, which they're taking over to PAX East in the US very soon. And how looking, you... looking wicked. Yeah, a Ninja yeah. Pizza Girl. A Ninja Pizza Girl. What is that? Too, yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, we'll see if uh, Megan can put us in touch with some of the great uh, Queensland developers yes, over please. there. That, so. that sounds Great looking game. Awesome. Looks smooth. Great art. Yeah. Damsel? Damsel. Keep an eye <laughs> out for it. Yeah. Um, coming up very, very soon. Did you know Pixel Ziv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Ziv website. So, modding is a huge part of the gaming community, as we all know, uh, though it does fall into a rather grey area of legality. Uh, developers and modders generally do live a peaceful coexistence. Uh, there's a long list of modder-created games that have gone on to be just as, if not more, successful than their original forms, like Counter-Strike and Dota. Um, the list literally does go on and on. It's hard to hate against this sort of progress and work. Um, I love the level of user engagement and, like, I guess, user generation as well. But it's not always as peachy and friendly and innovative as That's some it. would Snappy like. That's turn there, Gianni. Sometimes, uh, you know, commercial interests can get in involved with modding and, uh, you know, the process of doing that. Yeah, they have many times. Yep. Um, yeah, so in the case of some arrangements, like, the companies will tend to just get rid of that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. yeah. There's one example of uh, modders who use yeah. the, uh, creating custom content for the F1 game and professional sport and all this sort of stuff is very tightly controlled and content and licensing and, and all of these things are very, you know, they're very granular in the way that they do it. So, you know, it's people creating a lot of extra stuff that may be not sanctioned within the, the you know, the, the advertising code or whatever. I think in, in this case, it was the sense of real world, I guess, business politics well, getting in the way of art. It's almost. Re real life money and sponsorship getting in the way. And this is the problem with sports stuff in general. They're not just making general things or, you know, uh, they're not just editing 
general creations. They're editing something that actually exists and emulates real life and has, you know, monetary uh, interests in that. So this F1 thing was basically just changing the skin of the F1 car to update it to, I don't know, a new year or whatever. But the problem there is obviously that somebody paid for that car to look like that way in real in life. In the game as well. So therefore, they want it to look like that in the game as well because yeah. the money continues, continues on to, you know, represent them. Uh, so that's what that issue lies. And the same thing, like I said, with all sports, with FIFA and... I remember we had this with uh, Pro Evo earlier uh, in the year, even at the end of last year when they weren't updating their uh, rosters very well. Same sort of thing. You know, uh, the problem there was that... Oh, the problem there is, as far as modders go, is that they are changing someone's invested interest. And, and there is all these deals that exist in the background that are, you know, bigger than... Bigger than anything. There's a really interesting example, of, especially in sports games. There was a, a NES uh, NFL game that was created for the original NES... Um, and they updated it to include the rosters and the stats of the last uh, I saw that. Super Bowl game. Very cool. Yeah, and they were like, oh, what's the Ness, uh, you know, result? What's the thing? Like, you know, kind of like getting the octopus to judge who's going to win the I watched World that. Cup. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. I didn't stuff. watch the regular Super Bowl, but I watched the uh, Ness generated, um, you know, generated version. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, modding is a really interesting thing is that a lot of people start out, and if you were at Oz Comic Con on the weekend, um, Jess Watson from Let's Make Games basically said that modding was where a lot of people started out when they're going to make games. And to have something that you've worked on kind of be shut down in terms of you know copyright claims and, and the business claims of something that, you know, that you're not going to make any money out Actually, of. Actually, that's a really good point that Jess made there. Like uh, As far as all artistic kind of fields go, it's really good for people to have an entry-level kind of thing for that. I know as a producer myself, you know, I started editing other tracks and you know, even as uh, my pictures, you know, like sketching and whatever it's a good entry level and to take that away from people i guess is a bit of a and also put the heavy hand down on on people who yeah, are kind of like dis- starting discouraging. out discouraging yeah. yeah did they modify the performance of the vehicles at all i don't oh, in f1 no 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 it's just a skin right? okay cuz i off the top of my head this is not something i've done a lot of any research in for this episode but you i have remember one job mitch yes no, this, <laughs> i just thought of it just then okay um i seem to remember call call of duty the call of duty series actually working closely with gun manufacturers to make sure their guns sound and appear and perform very similar to their real-life counterparts. Well, and I've heard a, uh, like a counter, counter story to that. That, some, yeah. that, that, For example, people who are developing Battlefield, they actually don't tend to make the, the guns exactly the same. Like, it will okay. be a particular brand, but yeah. because they do have to pay licensing fees. On, exactly. On the- so I thought... I thought do the gun companies like I know people mod shooting games mm. and they mod guns are usually modded in shooting games to a different performance so I, I'm surprised that we haven't seen anything from a large gun company saying hey the Desert Eagle actually doesn't look like that or perform like that yeah. or you're not allowed to put it in yeah. there because that's our intellectual property well, as far yeah. as shooting goes nice little segue onto like yeah. Counter-Strike and a, a pro I guess uh, uh, as far as modding goes coming from Half-Life as I'm sure a lot of us know uh, it's problems like this, you know, as these games get bigger and, you know, people will start to pay attention to them and, you know, you, you've got issues with end user license agreements, you've got problems with copyright infringements and, uh, I Well, know. I mean, think about it. Valve's main games that they have now coming out all started as mods. Team Fortress 2 was a mod. That's true. Left 4 Dead 2 was a mod and Left 4 Dead was a mod. Counter-Strike was a mod. Yep. But you know, that, that's an example Dota of a, a mod. Dota, yeah. That's an example of a company really embracing that, though. Yeah, I mean, and they've always been very big on, yeah. on getting fame sort of content in there. But Even another high-profile one is Armour 2 was made pretty famous by the mod DayZ. 
I didn't even hear about Armour 2 yeah. until uh, Daisy exactly. came out. No one knew yeah. about Armour 2. Yeah. yeah, and I you know, went out and got that because of, because of this game that was supposed to be really, really interesting. There's, I mean, people take, I guess, liberties with the ways that they include sort of crossover content. But, you know, I remember you can, you can play as Spider-Man in Skyrim if you feel like it, yeah. or you can have the, the sounds of uh, Zoidberg whenever you fight any of the little mud crabs, yeah. you know, <laughs> that sort of stuff. I mean, it's just kind of like a remix sort of culture that we have. And well, should be encouraged. I, I remember in uh, Gran Turismo, uh, whatever the last one I got into was, 5 or something, uh, and the online of that, yeah, modders could basically change around any of the details of the cars, but to the point where it wouldn't adjust it very well. So you'd have, like, you know, tires out here and a little <laughs> yeah. mini and whatever, and, like, you know, just ridiculous, you know, horsepower and whatever. It's well, fun. It's just fun. And it enhances the game. Regarding cars, I think... shut down. I'm surprised we haven't seen any outrage of this, modern, of this modding community. Um, in the GTA series, when people put real life versions of actual cars in video games, like currently in GTA Five, there are two cars that, to me, look very similar to their real world counterparts. It's the uh, I think the Buffalo S and the D, uh, not the um, I think it's the Vapid Dominator. They're both the um, Dodge Charger and the modern Mustang, respectively. All of the cars on GTA yeah. are based but, very, 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 yeah, closely very, very to loosely, but no, no, very closely to something yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. Like I could tell you every single car yeah. and what it represents in the real life. But um, in the sense that they're, they're not the cars, they're definitely not, and that's because right. no no car company is going to have their car in a game where the car can be used as a weapon. Yeah. So, but. In the modding community, they have modded the vehicles to look exactly like the Ford Mustang and mm-hmm. the um, and the Dodge Charger. So I'm surprised there actually hasn't been any outrage from those two companies. It's like, why have our cars been put in in this? They are technically our IP. Yep. This is exactly how they look like, but they're being used to kill people <laughs> in a video game. But, I'm surprised there's been none of that. By the same token, very subtle non-paid-for advertising. Exactly. And now everyone's talking about it as well. We'll keep talking about uh, different video game stuff Mm. throughout every week. We'll be here again next week and probably the week after that. Three weeks down the track, who knows what's going on. That's right. Mm. Uh, That's all we've got time for today, so thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to find out more information, we've got great links to things like Damsel, um, some links to great mods and stuff. You can go on the Pixelsift website, and that website is www.pixelsift.com.au. And Scott, if people are going on social media, where can they go? Look, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. That's all at forward slash Pixelsift. And we're also on YouTube at uh, .com forward slash Pixelsiftau. And Mitch, for people wanting to listen to our older episodes or if they want to watch some of the videos and stuff that we've made? Yes, yeah, so they're all streamable on our website, or you can download them on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on the website. Perfect. And if you're on iTunes and or any of your other podcast players, if you give us a review and a star rating, that would really help us out and help people find the show. We've also got Steam as well. Yeah. You can watch us on Twitch. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening. We will see you again next week. Thanks for everybody to coming that came to our Comic-Con panel. Yeah. That was amazing really fun. Thank you very much yeah. for that. See Peace you then.
If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 